Our scripture reading today is from 1 Peter. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Debbie, for reading that passage for us. We're going to get into that in just a moment, but before we do that, a poem. It's Mother's Day. I have an all-time untouchable favorite Mother's Day poem. It's not really a Mother's Day poem, but it is a poem about motherhood. Uh, It's by a poet named Billy Collins, and it is called The Lanyard. Here we go. The other day, as I was ricocheting slowly off the pale blue walls of this room, bouncing from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf to an envelope lying on the floor, I found myself in the L section of the dictionary where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one more suddenly into the past, a past where I sat at a workbench at a camp by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift for my mother. I had never seen anyone use a lanyard, or wear one if that's what you did with them, but that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and milk from her breasts, and I gave her a lanyard. She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted teaspoons of medicine to my lips, set cold face cloths on my forehead, and then let me out into the airy light, and taught me to walk and swim. And I, in turn, presented her with a lanyard. Here are thousands of meals, she said. Here is clothing and a good education. And here is your lanyard, I replied, which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones, and teeth, and two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered. And here, I said, is the lanyard I made at camp. And here, I wish to say to her now, is a smaller gift, not the archaic truth that you can never repay your mother, but the rueful admission that when she took the two-tone lanyard from my hands, I was as sure as a boy could be that this useless, 
worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. All right. Happy Mother's Day, moms. We live in a world that tries to put order around chaos. It's a good thing. We try to put order and structure around things so that we can benefit from each other, so that we can live in relative safety, so that we can develop things like infrastructure that supports the common good. And today's passage talks about how to do this, how to live and move through this world and to do so as citizens of another place, as citizens of the kingdom of God. And it can be a tricky thing to move through this world. It can be confusing. It can be discouraging. Especially when when the values that you hold don't seem to be shared or valued in the same way as the institutions that speak into your daily life. Take for an example an HOA. You guys have HOAs, any of you? I'll tell you about my HOA. Sometime last year, I opened an email, and it was from my HOA. And what they were telling me was that my cars were illegally parked, and that the next time I did this, I would be assessed a fine. And at the bottom of that email were photos of my cars in front of my house. The rule is no street parking and no blocking the sidewalk. Now, my house is built in a way that makes it impossible, it's just not possible, to park more than four cars in a compliant way. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, no problem, four cars. Listen, you're looking at a guy who owns five cars. I have five drivers in my house. I don't want to own five cars. Nothing brings me joy about owning five cars. I don't like being responsible for 20 tires, five batteries, 15 oil changes over the course of a year. I don't like that at all. And yet, here we are. I have five drivers in my house. It's not like one of them's a project car. I just have five grown people who have jobs and school and stuff like that, and it's just the deal. And on top of that, I'll have you know, our house is occupied by a family that the house was built for. We're a single family living in a single family home. We're five people living in there. Wait, six people living in there. And so the rule in the charter discriminates against me. And I was indignant. And I hope you're indignant with me. (laughs) What was I to do? What would you have done? What, What should a Christian do in a situation like that? In this passage, Peter addresses Christians and he calls us beloved sojourners and exiles. It's this image that we are people who are moving through this life. But this life is not all that there is. That we're beloved, we're the object of the Lord's affection, that we're here for a time, we're moving through here, we're exiles. And the Christian life is this, is this kind of combination of, of a battle 
and a witness. It's a testimony. And Peter is saying, look, Christians, you bear witness to Christ by your conduct here. And as sojourners, we need to know, we need to understand that we are people who are waiting for something. We're waiting for something that we don't yet have. We're waiting for this home that we have not yet come to. As sojourners and exiles, we're people who have an inheritance. There's this, there's this family fortune that's ours. And it's going to ground us and it's going to provide for us forever. And we're navigating this world as we're moving to it. But it's not here yet. And, and so Peter says, your, your life here is going to be one where there are going to be all kinds of things that will try to lure you away. The pleasures of life. And they're going to be alluring and they're going to be tempting because what they're going to be saying to us is this. They're going to say, just make your home here. Make your home here. Find your comfort here. Take and eat from the tree of this life. And settle for the temporary comfort that it provides. And that's why he says it's a battle for your soul. It's not just that there's this temptation. It's that there's a war going on for our souls. It's an ongoing battle that would seek to reduce us down to people who would just say, I don't really think about a future hope. I'm just trying to get through the day. Instead, Peter says, live honorable lives before the watching world. Care about how people regard you. Care about how people who do not share your faith see you. Some will revile you for this. To revile is to, revile is one of those words that we hear it and we think, I think I know what it means. It means something bad. Right? But what it, what it specifically means is it means to sow seeds to destroy or diminish the reputation of another. That's what a reviler is. A reviler is somebody who is trying to dismantle somebody else's um, reputation, good name. And here's the thing about reputations. You can tell the world all you want who you are. But eventually you will show the world who you are. And that's how reputations work. We can tell people all day long who we are, but eventually we will show it. And if the way that we live shows a watching world that there is such a thing as kindness and that there's such a thing as humility and genuine concern for the well-being of others and hope in the love and grace of Christ, some, Peter says to the church, will find that so compelling that they will join you in that faith that they too will believe. Now, if this idea, this concept is starting to sound familiar to you, if you're somebody who spent any time reading the Bible, it should sound familiar to you. Um, there are two key places that jump to mind to me. I'm like, oh yeah, we've heard this before. The first is in the Sermon on the Mount, which Peter was present for as one of Jesus' disciples. There at the Sermon on the Mount, what Peter is doing here is he's just rephrasing something that he heard Jesus teach then. What did Jesus say? Our Lord said this. He said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand where it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, listen to what he says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
The other time Jesus talked about this, he said it in a much more forthright way, was when he ascended into heaven. And he had his disciples gathered, and all these new believers were there in Acts 1. And they were asking, when are you going to fix all this? When are you going to restore this? When When are you going to usher in your kingdom forever, for good? And here's Jesus' reply to his disciples to us. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. There's comfort in knowing that it's fixed already. But then he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Not you have the opportunity to be, not you might be, you will be my witnesses. Don't let it be lost on us that we're here in Cool Springs in Tennessee in 2023 And what Jesus told his disciples here has happened. It has happened. The gospel has made its way to the other side of the globe and it's found us. Why? Because he says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in the world. And people will come to faith through that. In both the Sermon on the Mount and on the Ascension, Jesus is talking about our place as people who point others to him. What's the encouragement here? Well, what Peter is saying is the Lord designed his kingdom to work in a certain way. He designed things to work in a particular way that he would show himself to a watching world through the witness of those who believe in him. And he didn't say if you're skilled enough. He didn't say if you're skilled enough, maybe you could persuade a person or two about my grace, he said it more matter-of-factly, you will be my witnesses. And then when we look at history, we should be just brought to our knees in sobriety over this. Because we see how this is held up. And it ought to just silence our pride when we think about the kindness of Jesus. Why? Because Christians have a kind of a multi-layered testimony in history, right? People claiming to be Christians have earned a reputation for things like hypocrisy and injustice. We've championed things like slavery, institutionalized war, greed, the oppression of the weak, people claiming to do that in the name of Jesus Christ. And yet, for all of those failures, and of people claiming to represent Christian values, there's also been, undeniably, there's also been this remnant of people in this world whose lives have been softened and transformed and reborn by the grace of Jesus Christ. And it is born fruit, fruit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And through that, people have been drawn to Christ in this way. Why? It's because God in his wisdom has been pleased to let this be a way that he calls people to himself. Because as we even saw this morning, when he calls people to himself, he's calling us into a community of faith. And it's a beautiful gift. I read the email. I felt violated looking at photos of my house 
taken by somebody who didn't have a name attached to it, the nerve. And so I hit reply and I began to type. And I was thinking to myself, <laughs> you poke the bear and the bear happens to be pretty decent with words. <laughs> I was born for this moment. I will expose the hypocrisy of the man. Problem. Here's my problem. I'm not a very confrontational person. And so I lay out my case in the email, my observation that this rule just doesn't work for a family like mine, living in a home that the development designed for a family just like mine. And so I type my opening line. The opening line's an important one. It sets the tone for everything. Maybe you can help me out. That's the opening line. Maybe you can help me out. And then I do this fairly surgical dissection of the folly of the rule. And within 30 minutes, my phone rings. And it is the HOA president who would like a word We're not just here on this earth biding our time. We're bearing witness to Christ. And that means part of God's will for us is to learn how to live in this world. And that thought, it's a learned skill. We, we learn the skill of being here. And Peter says it's a freedom. It's, it's actually your freedom. We're free to live as people who understand that this world is not our ultimate home. This world's kingdoms are really not where our citizenship lies. And so while we are here, we're free. And you know what we're free to do? We're free to live as participants in our communities without worrying about the stability of our true citizenship. We don't have to play the angles. We can just be reasonable people. We can look each other in the eye. We can contend for each other's spiritual well-being. We can be part of the world that we're in. And that's what Peter's calling believers to. Be part of the world that you're in and live in an honorable way. Contribute to the health of the systems that exist to serve the greater good. And that doesn't mean just cooperate with unjust systems. In fact, it means the opposite. It's a call to be engaged. And if we're engaged, that's a call to use our voice. It's a call to use our influence to promote what's good, to steer away from what's evil. But we need to be salt and light in how we even approach it, how we approach our care and reformation, how we oppose what's evil, how we promote what's good. And this, Peter says, that's the will of God for your life. If you're somebody who's wondering, well, I don't know what God's will for my life is. Here's part of the answer. Part of the answer is to be a member of your community and promote what's good and contend against what's evil. And notice the reason that Peter gives here for the will of God. He says we're not to be people who contribute to our communities because we are beholden to the emperor. He says live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everybody. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. We are to contribute and to serve because we are actually free. 
As servants of God, we're free from being beholden to human institutions. And so we use that freedom to serve others. The HOA president opens the conversation with this statement. We're going to give you a waiver so you can park on the street. That's how he starts. We're going to give you a waiver so you can park on the street. And then he goes on. You were absolutely right. We have several families, actually, in our neighborhood like yours, and we need to find a solution for this rule. And then what he said next kind of took my legs out from under me and humbled me. Actually, humiliated me would be the better, better way to say it. He said this. I'm going to tell you why it was humiliating. He said, thank you for responding graciously and not just coming at us with both barrels. Your reasonable reply inspired us to want to work with you to help solve this problem. We don't always get that from people. The reason this humbled me is because the graciousness of my response was just a character limitation in me. (laughs) Right? He was ascribing to me a posture that was not in my heart. I was mad, but his reply, or the way that he read my reply, he read it as gracious, and he thanked me for helping them think through a problem for several of our neighbors, our neighbors. I know that talking about an HOA is a silly example in light of the stakes that Peter is writing about here, persecution under Rome. Those Christians are trying to learn how to move through a world that is trying to kill them. And that's a much more dangerous world than my experience at Riser Point. But I can't finish the story without telling you how it ends. My motives were certainly not what Peter is calling us to here. I am, I am not the hero of this story. In some ways, I'm the villain in this story. But the fact that he received my words as helpful and from a posture of collaboration with a desire to serve the good of all our neighbors, the HOA got together and had a conversation and responded to me within 30 minutes with a solution to my problem. And that's not all. Before he hung up, he thanked me again, and then he said this. He said, you know, we need to revise some of these rules in our charter. We could really use a neighbor who is good with words and likes to solve problems. And that, friends, is how I became a member of the Riser Point HOA Parking Committee. Man. Frederick Buechner said, you don't just live in a world, but a world lives in you. And in Christ, we have something of value to bring to our communities, and it's God's will that we would. 
We could look at this as a method to reform things, which it certainly is. We could look at it as a way to subversively promote good. It's also true. But at the heart of Peter's instruction here is a call to live in community, to be part of the world we're in. Because as we do this, we don't just play a part in influencing systems, but we play a part in changing lives. We have this opportunity, and it's the opportunity Peter describes this way. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you work in us and through us in spite of us. The way that things unfolded with my HOA is just a picture of how you work even through our folly and through our imperfections to make yourself known to others. And so, Lord, would you give us then a desire to be participants in that, to be people who are engaged in our communities and who love well there. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.